That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thomas. Thomas blasts one to left center field. This one is deep and well struck. Way back it goes and it is gone. It just clears the left center field fence for a home run for Lane Thomas and the Nationals now lead it two to nothing. Big lead for Bogarts. There he goes again. The pitch is strike three. Call now he goes back to first. The throw down there is going to be a double play. Bogarts was going then he stopped. Sanchez takes strike three and Ruiz picks him off going back to first. That's a thank you very much. Hunter Harvey trying to wrap it up here in San Diego. Coming set. The kick and the pitch. Swinging a ground ball to third. Big hop for Candelario. He plants and fires onto Smith in time. And bang, Zuma Curly W's in the books in San Diego. Hello and welcome to the Nats Chat Podcast. I'm Tim Shovers, lefty out of the pen to give Al Galdi a well-earned night off. I'll be joined by Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com, who is live on site at Petco Park in San Diego, California, following a 2-0 shutout victory for Washington on Saturday evening and to even the series with the Padres at a game apiece. Saturday was a joyous day throughout on this podcast as pregame it was announced that Paul Espino is coming back. The secret weapon, Paul, has been promoted from AAA Rochester. He will be taking the spot of Chad Cool, who was DFA'd. If you listened to the previous edition of this podcast, you knew the cool move was likely to happen. We genuinely wish Chad and his wife the best. We know that 2023 has not been their year so far. Mark, on the positive end of things, though, Paul Espino is coming back to the active roster. Where do you think he will fit into the pitching staff? Well, before we get to that, Tim, I think as many good things as happened to the Nationals over the course of the game on Saturday, I think the most impressive performance by anyone was by you because you actually got Al Galdi to take a night off for the first time all year. (laughs) I don't know how you pulled that off. I think that's more impressive than shutting out the Padres, to be honest. What can I say? <laughs> so, yeah, look, I think it's pretty clear Paolo Espino just sort of takes over the Chad Cool role, which you were hoping would be a guy who can give you multiple innings, probably more often than not when the team is losing, but just when other guys are unavailable. He's a rubber arm who can go out there, take the ball, and the hope would be give you multiple zeros on the board. They wanted Chad Cool to be able to do that for them after he couldn't get it done as a starter. They gave him ample opportunities, as you said. 
everybody in the organization really grew to like him, his wife, Amanda. They have gone all in in their support of her and her fight against breast cancer. The uh, organization that they all got together to create, Cancer Isn't Cool, has raised tens of thousands of dollars already for research and breast cancer treatment in just a couple of months. So it's a testament to Chad and Amanda and what they've been able to do off the field here. But you have to also acknowledge that the performance just was not up to standards. And at some point, you have to make a baseball decision as tough as that may be on a personal level for them to do. So they made the move. They bring back Paolo Spino. I mean, look, Paolo had been starting all year. The reason they sent him down at the end of spring training was that they wanted him to build up his arm. They wanted him to start thinking that that's ultimately where they were more likely to need help. Now, as it's turned out, knock on wood, they haven't had a whole lot of things go wrong with their rotation from a health standpoint. So the need is really in the bullpen and that's where he is now. And we'll see, as he said with a smile, as he always does, whatever role they need me, whenever they need me, I will be there and be available for them. And fortunately for them, the way that this game played out Saturday night, they did not need his services. And that's a good thing because it meant everything else went according to plan. Paul Espino, the secret weapon who has been with Rochester this year, 3-2, and 4.56 ERA. He has 11 starts. He's thrown 49 innings, whip of 1.36. So uh, take it for what it's worth. His ERA is in the fours, and we're excited to have Paulo back. To the game on Saturday evening, Mark, if someone ran into you at the hotel tomorrow on the elevator and asked you what happened in the Nats game on Saturday night, just offhand, what's your answer before you both go your separate ways? My answer is the pitching, but in particular, the bullpen was lights out against a Padres lineup that, as we know, is pretty formidable when you look at the names, one through nine. Now, I know they haven't performed up to their full capabilities this year, but they are still dangerous any one of them at almost any moment in a game. So to shut them out, I do not want to discount that at all. And what the three relievers did combined, Mason Thompson, Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey, they faced 10 batters collectively. They retired all 10. They actually recorded 11 outs because of a double play. Six of the 10 batters they pitched to, they struck out. Okay. And that includes, again, some of the biggest names out there, Tatis, Soto, That was a big time performance by all three of those guys to make that win possible. Nothing against Josiah Gray, who was very good. Nothing against the lineup. You know, they got two early solo homers. They made that hold up. But to me, at the end of the night, I'm looking at what that bullpen did. That was evidence of what those three guys in particular are capable of doing on a given night. They haven't always been consistent in doing it. But to be honest, here lately, those guys have been on a pretty nice roll. They have been throwing gas, and particularly Thompson and uh, Finnegan. June has been a dreadful month, but Mason Thompson has bounced back. Would you say that's been the best development for the organization during what has otherwise obviously been a terrible stretch? Yeah, probably that. And then maybe what Lane Thomas keeps doing at the plate has been obviously outstanding as well. I mean, look, a few weeks ago, we we're talking about Mason Thompson after really a rough, rough May and saying, okay, is he ever going to get it back? Did we see the best of him? Was he burned out? Did he pitch too much? Well, he's thrown nine scoreless innings in June and some dominant innings within that. That was gas from him in this game. His command is back. He's throwing strikes like he was in April. His sinker is moving. He had some of those hitters completely baffled up there in those spots in this game. And that's a huge development, especially when you now add the Carl Edwards injury. 
going on the IL, somebody else has to step up and be part of those big three late in games. And Mason Thompson is the most likely candidate for it. What he has done the last several outings, I think, suggests that he is ready for that and that he has recaptured the form that he showed in April. That was not a flash in the pan. He still has that in him. He wasn't hurt. Everybody wondered, hey, did they overwork him? Is his arm shot now because of it? No, he had some mechanical issues. He worked it out with Jim Hickey, and he is back and really feeling good about himself right now. He had an inning and two-thirds, and then an inning from Kyle Finnegan, and an inning from Hunter Harvey to notch the save. Josiah Gray's pitching line for the evening. He gets the victory. He's 5-6 and six on the year. Threw five and a third, gave up four hits, no runs allowed, obviously, in the shutout win. Issued four walks, struck out six, 99 pitches. Again, he needed a lot of pitches to get through his evening, but did throw uh, some shutout frames and struck out a few guys, but obviously had walks as well. Would you agree with my sentiment, Mark, that tonight's performance by Josiah Gray perfectly embodies who he is in both his strengths and his weaknesses? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. You would love for this guy to be somebody who could go out there and give you seven scoreless on 99 pitches, but it just doesn't really seem like he has that in him. He is a high pitch count guy. He doesn't get quick outs. They hit foul balls off him. He has long three, two counts. You know, he strikes batters out. Good for him. He also walks batters, which can be a problem at times. But the biggest thing that he's done this year, and I think the reason that he has ultimately been successful is that even when he's gotten into a jam, for a good majority of the time, he's been able to get his way out of it. And that was the case in this one. He did not have a single clean inning the whole night, no one, two, three innings, but he only let two guys reach second base against him. He never let anybody reach third base. So he was not stringing together hits. He was coming through with big outs when he needed him. He struck out Xander Bogarts, two on, two out in the first. I think the fifth inning was probably the biggest one he has a, a two-out single by Tatis, who then steals second. Now with first base open, he pitches around Juan Soto. Four pitches, puts him on, so he's got to face Manny Machado. Pretty good hitter in his own right. And what did he do? Got him immediately to pop up on the first pitch. And that's, I think, the maturation for Josiah Gray. He's still not all the way there. Maybe he'll never get there to be that true frontline starter that you can count on for a lot of innings and more efficiency. But if he does learn now how to minimize damage, even if the pitch count's a little high and you're ultimately hoping for somewhere between five and six innings, because the run prevention has been so good, I think ultimately that's fine. And I think that's a big win for him and for the Nationals. In my anecdotal opinion watching him, I think one of his biggest issues is he just doesn't have wipeout stuff with two strikes. So many times tonight you saw a bat where he was ahead in the count and next thing you know it was full and he could not put guys away, even guys in the bottom of the order. Do guys develop that or is that sort of like speed? You either have it or you don't. I think you can develop it. I think you can learn what works in what spots how not to waste a pitch. You know, a lot of times you get ahead in the count and a young pitcher thinks, okay, I'm just going to get him to chase. Well, these are good hitters and they can read a pitch out of your hand that has no chance of being in the strike zone. So the key thing to learn is how to make it look like maybe it's going to be on the edge and then it darts away at the last second. You know, something like his slider that he throws, his sweeper that he throws. So yeah, I think you can get there with it. We have seen him have some big strikeout games, although not so much this year, more in the past. He's hit 10 strikeouts a couple of times. But I, I think he's still kind of figuring out who he is. I mean, we've talked about this. He's throwing six different pitches and he threw them all in this game. 
And, you know, that's fine if it's effective, but ultimately, what is it that you're relying on when you need outs, when you need a big swing and miss? And if you have that many to go through in your head, maybe it's hard to pinpoint which is the best one for you or to really perfect one or two of those pitches. So I think it is a work in progress, but, you know, we want to see a lot out of him, obviously highly touted. The fact, the trade that he came in, put extra attention on him. He's still relatively young, still did not spend that much time in the minor leagues. I think he's still learning how to pitch. The best thing he's done since coming up here is stay healthy and take the ball every fifth day. And that's nothing to laugh about. That is a big deal for young pitchers. Now you're starting to see the development of him learning how to pitch. And I think there's still room to grow. Is he a number one or two starter in the big leagues? I don't know. Maybe not. But they may not need him to be that. If Mackenzie Gore becomes what he's supposed to be, if Cade Cavalli becomes what he's supposed to be, if perhaps a guy named Paul Skeens ends up as a national and lives up to his potential, Josiah Gray can be a number three or even four starter, maybe in a best case scenario. And if you're getting, you know, five to six scoreless innings, remember three or four starter, that's phenomenal. So maybe that is where he ultimately winds up. But I think he is still learning and I think he can continue to grow from what he's getting out of all this experience. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Have you ever heard of Larry June? Decent chance you haven't. But if you do know of this 32-year-old rapper that was born in San Francisco on April 8th, 1991, then game time is the place for you. Get tickets to his show on Tuesday, June 27th at the Fillmore in Silver Spring, right by the Metro. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. I'll be honest, I had never heard of Bird Dogs until the ad sale came across my inbox. I was told they would send me something in the mail so I could personally endorse it. It has not yet arrived. However, multiple listeners have privately told me they love Bird Dogs pants and shorts. Bird Dogs fit better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton, and I believe it based upon customer reviews. Go to birddogs.com pool 
and enter promo code POOL, that's P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. They promise you. Here's a pitch swung on and hit in the air to deep right. This is way back. Tatis to the warning track, to the wall, and there it goes. It's gone goodbye. Jamer Candelario gets a hold of a 92-mile-an-hour fastball and drives it out to straightaway right field. It's his ninth home run of the year and RBI number 33. Bang! Zoom goes Candelario to get the Nationals on the board in the top of the first inning. And they have a lead here in San Diego. It's Washington 1, San Diego nothing. Lane Thomas and Jamer Candelario homered two solo shots. That was the offense for the night. 2 nothing win. But the two guys who homered, they are two of the more prominent names mentioned for who might represent the Nationals at next month's All-Star Game in Seattle. Outfield's always a tricky spot, which is where Lane Thomas is, because there's obviously such a glut of talent out there in limited spots. I know the roster maneuvering gets really creative and interesting, and next thing you know, we end up with guys in in the high 30s. But right now, how do you see Lane Thomas's chances of getting put onto the roster, given the outfield competition? Well, I think if it was just as simple as saying who's been the best player on the team, who's the most deserving player on the team, it's Lane Thomas right now. Now, there's still a week to go. It'll be a week from Sunday when the rosters are announced, so things could change. But you're looking at a guy who overall is hitting 296 with an 850 OPS, and really almost all the production has come since May 1st. All 13 home runs have been since then. It's 49 games that he's played since May 1st. And you look at the rate, like over a 162, the pace that he's on since then, he's on pace for like 200 hits, 50 doubles, 30 plus homers. And like I said, uh, over a thousand OPS just from what he's done since May 1st. Now, obviously that's not the way you judge it and you have to do it over a whole season. But I feel like he's done this long enough now, consistently enough to say that this is legitimate. And yeah, it can be tough to squeeze your way on to a roster when there are so many good outfielders out there. But I think ultimately it is about rewarding who your best player is. And it's nothing against Jamer Candelario, who's done a nice job. I think he's been what the Nationals wanted him to be. And maybe because the third base position is weaker around the league, he stands out a little bit more. But I mean, you put them side by side and say, who's had the better year? Who's more deserving of an all-star berth? I don't think there's any question. It's Lane Thomas over Jamer Candelario, right? Totally with you. It should definitely be Lane Thomas. I hope it's Lane Thomas. He's very deserving of it. And it seems like every day he's making a big play in the box score. The guy they homered off of was Matt Waldron. He was called up from AAA El Paso, sporting an ERA over seven. He's a quasi-knuckleballer. Michael Walker was scratched because of shoulder fatigue. That probably, what I just said, is probably the most important stat from the evening as to why the Nationals were able to beat the San Diego Padres. Mark, what were your impressions of Waldron and his knuckleball? I know it wasn't exactly you know Tim Wakefield and R.A. Dickey. We didn't get our full money's worth, it seemed like. I was majorly let down from this one, Tim. I was excited. I think a lot of people were excited to see a knuckleballer because there just aren't that many in the big leagues anymore. I think he would have been the first one in a while. Now, I knew going in from asking around that he not a true, like just straight up knuckleball pitcher, that it is only part of his arsenal. But I was led to believe that he at least threw it like 40% of the time, maybe even 50% of the time. And what's so funny is I think the Nats scouting report was the same thing. Did you watch Lane Thomas in his first at bat? A couple pitches in, he gets the knuckleball and struggled with it. And now with two strikes, it looked, and he admitted afterwards, he was sitting on the knuckleball, just assuming that's what he was going to get. 
and he gets a fastball and it was such an awkward and late swing. He looked ridiculous. And so over the course of that first two innings, you realized, hang on a second, this guy doesn't actually throw that many of them after all. And so what they did was they said, okay, forget about that scouting report. Just treat him like any pitcher. Look fastball, adjust to the off-speed stuff. And they did, and you know they didn't have a whole lot of success, but the two of them hit the solo homers. But the final tally, he throws 62 pitches, only 13 knuckleballs. What do we all pay for to watch this game? Well, I know I didn't pay to watch it. I'm being paid to watch it. But for the 43,000 who showed up at Petco Park, I want a refund, you know? That's not what I was promised. I'm kind of disappointed in that, unfortunately. Now, all joking aside, Waldron, under the circumstances, did a nice job. Was not very good at AAA, although El Paso and the entire PCL is really tough for pitchers. But he comes in here, and aside from the two solo homers, he did his job. He gave his team a chance, and for a Major League debut, no complaints from that. I do have complaints, though, about his arsenal, and I feel like I didn't get the full experience of what maybe this guy could have. Yeah, it's sort of like the opposite of when we were kind of told about Ross Ollendorf heading into his first start that he had his great windup, and then it was even better than we could have even <laughs> asked for. This did not meet the expectations, I would say. Over in London, on Saturday, the Cubs and Cardinals met for the first of two games. It's been four years since the initial Red Sox and Yankees series across the pond. In 2019, then COVID-19 showed up for a bit. Next year, it will be the Mets and Phillies who are meeting over in the U.K., Do you think this will become a for sure annual MLB event in London and might it further expand, such as teams playing four or six game series? Uh, We've certainly seen the NFL's relationship with London evolve in the past 15 years or so. So it is going to continue, but not quite the way that you're describing it. Um, MLB wants to expand beyond England, and they've already actually announced that 2025, they will have a two game series, I believe. In Paris. They're also looking at, I think, Germany at some point. They really would like to expand their reach into Europe. You know, a continent that, as we know, is not really baseball heaven. (laughs) A lot of people there don't know a lot about the sport, but you've seen with the WBC, with the Netherlands in it, with Italy in it, you are seeing baseball trying to push its way into Europe. I think the London games have done well. I think, as far as the league is, is concerned, there are a growing number of fans. Who live there and they want to expand that to now include Paris in 2025. So that would be really interesting to see how that all works out. They will be back in London next year. Like you said, it's the Phillies and the Mets. And I noted this the other day. I had heard this a while back. So 2019 was the first time they went Yankees, Red Sox, and there was a tons of runs scored, a bunch of bunch of home runs. That ballpark as it was configured was not ideal. They did fix the dimensions a little bit and you saw it was a little bit better for the opener of the uh, Cardinals Cub series. But when MLB, and this is all the way back in 19, now that they're deciding who's going to play there in 2020, there were two finalists for it. It was either going to be Cubs, Cardinals, or Mets Nationals. Now, remember, this is at a time when the Nationals are loaded with stars and ultimately won a World Series. Now, I think most people understood that Cardinals Cubs, given the history of the rivalry, And the fact that one of the New York teams had already just been there, they probably aren't going to go right away with Mets Nationals. But the fact they're being considered said to me, okay, maybe the Nationals are becoming one of those kind of franchises that MLB wants to use and to promote, given the star power on the roster and all that. Well, COVID hits, everything else happens that we've gone over ad nauseum the last three seasons around here. And now the Nationals of 2023 bear no resemblance to the Nationals of 2019. And so that's why it's Mets-Phillies 
instead of Mets Nationals. I don't know if and when they're going to be at a point again that MLB does want to showcase them for an event like that. I hope it's before I stop covering this team because I would love the opportunity to go across the pond and cover the Nationals playing a game in Europe somewhere. Yeah, it's really high on my bucket list already. The thought of seeing a Major League Baseball game in London, that sounds like one of the coolest things. So hopefully it does happen. As we wrap up here at the College World Series in Omaha, LSU edged out SEC rival Florida 4-3 to in extras in the championship round. Dylan Cruz went 1-3. for three. Mark, at this moment, is he expected to go number one over Skeens? You know, most people say yes, but I don't think you can discount what Skeens has done in this tournament to make you think that somebody with the Pirates might say, hang on a second, how hard is it to draft and develop elite starting pitching, if this guy really is all that, maybe we should think about this. And I know it's more of a risk, but maybe he's the guy. So I I think most people feel like Cruz is the safe pick or even that the Pirates could go off the board and, and take one of the high school outfielders. But I'm not just assuming for sure that it's Cruz. And I, I think it does set up potentially a, a fascinating question for the Nationals if they end up having their choice of either of them. I don't know where they go. In fact, I know for a fact that the organization has not set their board yet and decided between those two. Now, they may individually, each scout and Mike Rizzo and everybody else involved, they may in their own mind know who they would pick. But I think organizationally, they really do wait to the last minute to decide and set a board of how they want to go. Now, I also think, and I was told this by somebody else, that as much fun as it is to watch them in the College World Series, I don't think anybody is really using these games to change their minds about anybody. I don't think they're suddenly going to say, oh, well, because Paul Skeens was great against uh, Wake Forest, well, that bumped him up a spot in my mind. I think they know who these guys are. I think they've made their evaluations at this point. But I will say, depending on what happens Sunday, if it goes to a decisive third game Monday, and if Paul Skeens is used somehow on short rest, there could be some people in the Nationals organization very nervous about how that would go and what that might mean for the young man's arm. Yes. Yeah, so Nats fans, if you just are caring about the Nationals and don't have a dog in the fight, root for LSU to win on Sunday night and wrap up the series. And that way, Skeens, the question doesn't even come into play. Should he pitch on three days rest with the national title on the line? want to thank Mark for uh, joining us from San Diego for this game. Al will be back for Sunday to recap the finale of the rubber match between the Nats and the Padres. For our listeners in the Richmond, Virginia area, we are on the radio from 11 a.m. to noon. Catch up on any conversation you might have missed, including a recap of the Mackenzie Gore, Victor Robles dugout spat from earlier this week. For Mark, I'm Tim. We'll be back for the next Nats game on Sunday here on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here it comes from the windup. Swing and a drive to center field here. Isbell goes back again. It's over his head once more. He jumps up near the fence, and it's out of his reach this time. That's a homer. And Matt Adams has tied up the ball game with a shot to dead center. Omaha's bullpen has finally given up a home run. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.